If you will turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We continue our series, which is sort of a spinoff on the series we did this fall, entitled We Are His, looking at these gospel principles for our life and relationships together in families, in our communities, and in the church. And we're taking a look at how some of those principles play out in the family of our Lord Jesus and in His coming. And we turn now to Luke chapter 2. This is God's Word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Lord Almighty, abound to us with your kindness that we might have understanding. And not just knowledge about what this, your word means. Lord, that we might commune with Jesus and know him more deeply and worship him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. For your glory, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can learn a lot by about somebody by how they rule over whatever it is they have charge of. 
right? From your big sister who ruled over the sandbox or playing house, you know, with her iron fist and made you do all the things that she wanted you to do. Or even as we look out into the world, I can't turn on the news or read a a newspaper or internet article without some mention of, have you heard what Elon Musk has done to Twitter lately? And I don't know. I don't care really, but it just seems really erratic. Maybe there's a plan, maybe there's not, but I wouldn't know from how he's doing it. Even as you look out into the world and see how governors govern, you learn a lot about them. Even in our own politics, how so many of our elected leaders are more concerned about re-election than governing. It tells you a lot. Or when we look at Putin's barbarism or how the Iranian regime is just crushing the freedoms of those people who are crying out. Or even as word has come this week of the Taliban just banning all education to women, you can tell a lot about people and what's important to them by how they govern and how they rule. And so when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords comes to earth, to his kingdom, we can learn a lot even in this birth account about how this king rules. We can learn a lot about our God, by how he comes to his kingdom to rule. So we're going to look at four things very briefly this morning. We're going to learn that God rules in faithfulness, that God rules in peace, that God rules in humility, and that God rules in righteousness. So the first thing I want us to consider here is that God rules in faithfulness. This account is set in the days of Caesar Augustus, who governed over a a time of great peace and prosperity in the Roman Empire. But if you do a study of the Roman Caesars, you will find that there's not a whole lot of stability or reliability in their line or lineage. One is assassinated, others fight amongst themselves. It's this person, it's that person. Sometimes you don't even know who is Caesar at this moment. It's just mass confusion. How interesting then to discover that the Lord Jesus, who is of the lineage and house of David, is born to fulfill this centuries-old promise that God made to his people, that from David would come a king who rules forever. You heard me say last night, if you were here for our Christmas Eve service, that our power was out. I had these plans, you know, the winter storm, our power's been in and out. And, and like whatever I said I was going to do, I didn't do any of it. I mean, like the weather just upends any promises I might make. Oh, well, yeah, I'll clean this thing out, or I'll do this thing, or I'll cook that, whatever. It's gone. And maybe you you found this to be true, too. You promise your kids, like, oh, no, we'll go to uh, Bush Gardens tomorrow, and then it rains, and you're like, never mind. Like, we can't keep our promises if the weather changes. But year after year after year after year, century after century after century, 
the rise of kingdoms and the fall of kingdoms, with nations raging against nations, our God who made a promise to some nobody king in the Middle East kept it. And nothing stopped him. Because our God rules in faithfulness. And what we learn from this is, as is said elsewhere in Scripture, in Christ, all of God's promises, every single one, are yes and amen. He's faithful. Our God also rules in peace. You look out at the world and you don't see a whole lot of worldly rulers and kings ruling in peace. They demand their due and they back it up with threats. If you don't give me what I want, I'm just going to take it or try. And they wage war against one another and they uh, sanction one another and they overthrow one another. And it's just everybody scrambling to get theirs. We read that the whole reason Joseph took Mary to Bethlehem was because there was this great census in Rome. And the thing about most uh, occurrence of a census, I'm not sure what the plural of census is. Since I? (laughs) Censuses? They're just an exercise in building up the ego of whoever the ruler happens to be. David did this once, and God, uh, God called him on it. And certainly, there are good reasons to have a census. We have one every 10 years in our country, so we can you know, distribute this, that, and the other and make sure that we understand what's going on. And, but, but more often than not, especially in the ancient world, a census was, how many, how many people do I have under my rule? How many fighting men can I draft into my armies? How much wealth can I collect from my tax collectors? It was just an exercise of getting more for me, the ruler of all. How interesting then that God sends his messengers to these know-nothing, nobody shepherds. And his glory shines around them with such power that they cower in fear. And this God, who has all the glory, who has an angelic army at his disposal that could overthrow kingdoms at the blink of an eye, this God who has all the things, who has all the power, who has all the glory, he doesn't demand, he gives. And he offers all who would receive it his peace and goodwill. What we learn from this, if anything, is this. That in Christ, who is our peace, the dividing wall of hostility between us and God, between us and one another, it's torn down. Because our God rules, not in conflict and division, but in peace. We also learn that our God rules in humility. It seems a strange thing to say about God that he who has all the glory would rule in humility. And we don't have a whole lot of examples of that in the world, rulers 
being humble and just one of the people. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never yet, not once, been invited to a presidential banquet. And who do I think I am that I mean that I should be? And yet the Lord of glory invites these shepherds to come into his presence, not in some grand throne room gilded with gold and silver and jewels, but he is enthroned in a manger. A feeding trough for animals. And they marvel. And that this is the sign. This is the sign that God, who rules in peace, who rules in faithfulness, is coming to, to bring redemption to the world. Is that he doesn't just lord his glory over everyone. But he invites into his presence those who would be cast out of the king's Chambers, those who rule in the world, they would never have shepherds come into their, to their chambers. But here the God of all, who rules in humility, invites his people to see him, to have access to him, to know him. And if we learn anything from this, we learn that in Christ, God who made all things, actually treats us as more important than himself. For the day will come when our Lord Jesus Christ, who is truly God and truly man, will give his own life to save sinners, to save those who would be his enemies. Because he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give himself as a ransom for many. Our God rules in humility. We also see that our God rules in righteousness. Oh, for a righteous ruler. So many of the rulers of this world are just corrupt to the core. I mean, you may have enjoyed the World Cup, but the stories coming out about the corruption to get the World Cup hosted in Qatar. If you've ever heard any stories about the International Olympic Committee and how they choose any of the places to host those games, I mean, it is just rife with corruption. How much more everywhere else? And it's as if the world rulers operate on this motto of do as I say, not as I do, right? If you're an athlete and you are corrupting the game by, you know, injecting performance-enhancing drugs or whatever, you're, you're ostracized and cast out and condemned, but we can corrupt the process by taking all the money. Just do as I say, not as I do. But that's not how our God rules. He rules in righteousness. What a strange little detail that at the end of eight days when he, He was circumcised. He was called Jesus. But it's a glimpse at what the life and ministry of Jesus would mean. Because the the law of God commanded that male children be circumcised at the end of eight days. And the Lord Jesus fulfilled that. And we find in his life and ministry, he fulfilled every part of God's law. 
all of the parts of God's law that we have failed to fulfill, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves, the Lord Jesus fulfilled perfectly, and not to lord it over us, not to crush us underfoot. He fulfilled all of the demands of the law on our behalf because his name is Jesus. Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. He did all of these things to save his people, to be their redeemer, to free them from the threat of death and hell and to clear the way for them to be welcomed into God's presence. Or another way, what we learn from this is that in Christ, because of his life on our behalf, because of his righteousness that he gives to us, the greatest Christmas gift of all, we become the very righteousness of God and can enter his presence boldly, knowing that he is our God and we are his people. So what does this mean for our relationships? We've been trying to apply these gospel principles to our lives and to our relationships this season. What does this mean for us? Briefly. If God rules in faithfulness, we can learn that in a season that has been corrupted by selfishness and gain, That what is more important than us getting is us living in faithfulness to him who is faithful to us. What would it look like for you in every aspect of your life, in your marriages, in your parenting, in your uh, life with your parents, in your relationships with your neighbors and co-workers and family and friends? What would it look like for you, first and foremost, not to, to... to scheme and think about, well, what am I going to get out of them or how am I going to get them to do what I want? But what would it, does it mean for me to be faithful to my God in this relationship, in this moment? How can I serve him? If our God rules in peace, we can learn that in a season of conflict where wars and rumors of wars or rage where family arguments spring up uninvited, that we can live as peacemakers. Because if our God rules in peace, if he is our peace, we can walk in that way and announce with the angels that in Christ there is peace on earth goodwill to men, and strive not to spread conflict and division, but to actually build peace, to bring healing. What would it look like for you to not step into the argument to win it, but to step into the conflict to bring peace? If our God rules in humility... We can learn and and live that in an arrogant age when everybody's trying to add one more thing to their resume, that we don't have to play by those rules. It doesn't matter how many likes your post gets. It doesn't matter 
how many promotions you may receive. It doesn't matter if the God of the universe has made you his own. And there's an opportunity for us to live in humble faithfulness and humble dependence on him. To trust that he who gave himself for sinners, how will he not also give us all things that we need? And if our God rules in righteousness, we can learn that in a culture of cancellation and condemnation, where on the right and the left, all over, in all sorts of places, when you cross the line, you're shut down. I mean, it doesn't matter if our guy does it, it's okay. But if your guy does it, we're going to condemn you. Like we can learn that in a world where there is nothing but condemnation and cancellation, that we can be a people who follow our God, who rules in righteousness and gives his righteousness freely to all who ask because he is full of grace. And so we, rather than offering condemnation, can offer grace, can offer the very righteousness of our God and King, that people who see him and know him and believe on him might receive it from him because of our ministry to them. We could go on and on and on about all that this means for us, but if anything, this is good news. The gospel announces that our God who came, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who took on flesh, became man, and took his rightful place in this world to rule and reign over it, didn't do it the way the rulers of the world do. He did it in a way that would clear us to know him to be with him, to enjoy him now and forever because he is our God and we are his people. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, teach us more and more of what this means that we might rejoice in who you are and what you do and that joy might spill over into all of our relationships. For your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.